Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. This is our recap of the book we just finished reading, Sister Citizen, by Melissa V. Harris Perry. Unfortunately, once again, this episode will be coming out late. I'm still working on getting, getting better at making sure these recaps come out on a timely basis. It's usually my... It's usually the episode I put off doing the most. I finish reading one book and the next thing I want to do immediately is get into the next book. And so I tend to put off doing these episodes until the day before, the day of, that they need to be released. And that is what has happened here again today. And so I'm going to try to do better with the book we're currently reading, which is The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. Or the next book that we'll be reading, the book I'm now currently reading, which is The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. So, however, let's shift our attention to Sister Citizen by Melissa V. Harris Perry. And I'm pulling up Sister Citizen on my laptop to try and get a get the chapters so I can get a the web page of the chapters up. So give me one second. So one of the first things that stands out to me about the Sister Citizen now that I pulled up the I pulled up the Wikipedia page, I pulled up Melissa V. Harris Perry's Wikipedia page to look through a few different things. I also am getting the table of contents pulled up here as well. But she presents to us the crooked room concept. And she speaks about the crooked room as a experiment that took place where subjects enter the crooked room, sit down, and are told to try to make themselves straight and some people are able to make themselves straight in the midst of the crooked room while other people make themselves crooked in an effort to adjust to the crooked room. And this is an overlying, overlining, over, overlining or overarching concept that she touches on periodically through different chapters of this book. And my interpretation of it is for black women because of being at the intersection of, of, racism and sexism as black women, they are constantly in this society in America where every day they are entering crooked rooms or every day they are dealing with crooked rooms and being asked to make themselves straight. And one of the things I think Melissa V. Harris Perry did a great job of doing is pointing out how even though there are some individuals who can adapt to this crooked room society and can make themselves straight in the midst of the crooked room society, that it is too much to ask for the masses of black women to have to do that. And that even by having to do that, that it, it takes away the things that are supposed to be guaranteed for human beings in this society, which is, you know, freedom and liberty and uh, pursuit of happiness and, and things, you know, and justice and all of these, these other things that we're told America represents. <clears throat> And then she, she uses these stereotypes that black women have to deal with to sort of explain how the room is crooked uniquely or specifically for black women. Because we understand that depending on what group you fall in, what marginalized or subjugated group you fall in in this society, the items in the crooked room are at different angles for you. And... So for a black man, the things that the angles of the items in the crooked room are different than they are for a Mexican man or for a uh, 
a gay man or for a, a trans man. The same thing, the same way that for a black woman, the objects in the crooked room are at a different angle than they may be for white women or then that or that they may be for indigenous women. And <clears throat> Melissa V. Harris Perry does a good job of of giving you the vantage point of black women, not just at one specific period of time in history, but throughout oops, sorry about that, but throughout the entirety of this American society. There were two stories that Melissa V. Harris Perry told at the onset of Sister Citizen that both stuck with me throughout the reading because she continuously brought them up to try to juxtapose the situations they were in to situations that other black women would be in. And so that's one reason it stuck with me. But another reason that the, that the story stuck with me was because of the, the inhumaneness. Yes, is, is was an aspect, but the humiliation uh, shame is something that Melissa V. Harris Perry does a very good job of illustrating and talking about the, negative ramifications of shame. And so she tells the story of a black woman who was, who owned, who was free, who owned her own land and who was accused by, and this was in the, during slave times, who was accused or during the time of enslavement. I'm trying to get better at doing that and not saying slave times, but the time of enslavement, not saying slaves, but saying people who are enslaved. A lot of the things that I'm gaining from reading is the importance of articulation, the importance of communication, the importance of uh, of using the right terminology or using the right words that have the right connotation. So that way we're speaking on the same wavelength. And so I want to get away from saying slaves and, and get into the habit of saying enslaved people. So this was during a time where people were still enslaved. So this woman... Uh, who owned her own land, was free. This black woman was accused of stealing produce from a white man's land. They had no proof that she stole the produce. Uh, and the way Melissa V. Harris Perry tells the story, this was something that was being done to try to bring her to bring her down in a, in a way to try to... Uh, this, this, she was a black woman. She had her own land. She was She was free. These were things that challenge the norms of the society at the time. And so in an effort to try to basically make an example out of her or to keep her in her place or put her in her place, she was accused of stealing this produce and then she would be uh, convicted and then she would be publicly whipped in front of the the city that she was in. And then Melissa V. Harris Perry tells, tells the story, and excuse me for not remembering the names, I got to get better with names. Uh, she also tells the story of in the closer to present times, a black woman who is a professor, college professor, well-educated, and she has a stroke. And after having a stroke, she tries to take, uh, she's in hospitalized, and then she tries to get elongated time off because she, her, she's still trying to get control of her body. She's still dealing with the ramifications of the stroke. And her university tells her that she has to come back or she will essentially lose her job if she doesn't come back quick enough. And so she comes back, and while, when she comes back, she's, you know, this is her telling Melissa V. Harris Perry is telling her story, but this woman has also taught her story, too. And that's how Melissa V. Harris Perry is able to uh, to retell it to us. But this woman speaks about the, the shame that she felt because she was not able to get through this lesson. She didn't have 
you know, you have a stroke, you lose control of parts of your body, and she had not been able to gain control of certain parts of her body still. And so she struggled to try to to teach this class. And Melissa V. Harris Perry tells us that we have to view both of these things, even though they are far apart in time period, even though they are looked at, can be seen as vastly different experiences, that both of these black women were women who, for their times, had essentially adapted to the crooked room and essentially, uh, I don't know if adapted is the right word, but they had, yes, they had adapted to the crooked room and they had been able to uh, excel. They had broken through the glass ceiling that existed for most women who looked like them. And, but even though they had done that, it did not mean that they had escaped the roots of the structures and systems that made the room crooked to begin with. And so, yes, this one, this black woman was during times where people were enslaved. She had, she owned her own land and she was free, but she was still subject to the oppression and exploitation and, and demoralization and shame that in stereotype that existed at the time for black people, uh, you know, she was stereotyped as to be a, being a thief and to as to as to stealing uh, the same thing as for the professor. She was stereotyped as being lazy and not wanting to work. And so those stereotypes led to them having to deal with these events and these situations of shame. And to me, those things do a good job of solidifying that this is not simply a about money or about success or about education or even about freedom, that it is about the value system that exists in this, uh, in this country and how that value system uh, views black women. Now, I think the next memorable portion or memorable concept that is presented in Sister Citizen for me personally is the three three main stereotypes that Melissa V. Harris Perry lays forth for us. Sorry, I was trying to get my laptop up here on this desk so I can look at it while I'm reading through this. Okay, so she speaks about the, the archetypes, three archetype stereotypes, uh, the Mammy, Jezebel, and Sapphire stereotypes. And now what I want to do real quickly is just speak on each one of these stereotypes. This is a definition of the mammy stereotype. A mammy is a U.S. historical stereotype depicting black women who work in a white family and nurse the family's children. The fictionalized mammy, mammy character is often visualized as a larger sized, dark skinned woman with a motherly personality. The origin of the mammy figure stereotype is rooted in the history of slavery in the United States. Black slave women were tasked with domestic and childcare work in white American slave holding households. The Mammy stereotype was inspired by these domestic workers. The Mammy caricature was used to create a false narrative of black women being happy within slavery or within a role of servitude. The Mammy stereotype associates black women with domestic roles, and it has been argued it, combined with segregation and discrimination, limited job opportunities for black women during the Jim Crow era, which is dated approximately 1877 to 1966. Okay, so... Now, I had been familiar with this stereotype, with this archetype, but I was not, but very surface level. Uh, Melissa V. Harris Perry takes the time to go 
beneath the surface and to go into depth of the origins of the Mammy of the Mammy car- caricature and archetype and where how it's re- evolved over time, how it's the effect that it's had on black women over time. And uh, she even speaks about how this one was because during slave during slave times they had basically demonized black women's sexuality and made it seem as if black women had this, uh, were these insatiable sexual, uh, sexual beings. And that was why, you know, was it the master's fault for raping them? And, uh, you know, a bunch, a bunch of different things that sort of justified the sexual violence that black women received. And they speak about how during this time period, when the woman is, when the mammy stereotypes begins to, emerge more it's about trying to take away that uh or do the opposite the pendulum swinging in the opposite way where mammy is seen as being asexual and not being threatening to the white women who she's working in the house with who whose husbands are near and in close proximity to her uh they speak about how the mammy stereotype is viewed as because she was nursing the white people's children and spending more time at the white home than she was able to spend at, with her own children or at, at her own home. Speaking about how it was this, uh, it also, uh, they people use the stereotype to try to stigmatize the idea of black women uh, ignoring, not ignoring, it's, it's a better word than ignoring that I could use here. Uh, give me one second. Trying to find a better word than ignore. What's a synonym for ignore? Somebody probably listening to this yelling it out right now. But disregard uh, is a little bit better, I guess. Neglect. Neglect. That's the best word. So they use this stereotype to talk about how black women may neglect their own community in an effort to try to cater to the white community. They brought it up to speak about... uh, a black woman who was supporting Hillary Clinton that was run while she was running for president as opposed to supporting Barack Obama. And so to me, the, the time that she put into diving deep into the stereotype of Mammy was very important because I think that that is what is needed a lot of times to is, is a dissection, a dissecting of some of these stereotypes is a dissecting of these concepts because so many people think that these things are no longer relevant or because this is something that happened in the past or something that was used more in the past that the relevancy it has now is not still here. And Melissa V. Harris Perry does a good job with both the, with all three, the Mammy stereotype, Jezebel and Sapphire of speaking about how these things still correlate. These stereotypes still have negative ramifications on black women now. Okay. The next stereotype, uh, I don't know if they have any, let's see. The Jezebel stereotype. I'm trying to see if they have anything. They don't really have anything on the the page I'm looking at. This this speaks to that. Uh, but the Jezebel stereotype, from my recollection of how, let me not say from my recollection. Let's here we go. I got something right here. Let's read this. In Sister Citizen, the modern day Jezebel is associated with black mothers who rely on welfare. Harris Perry asserts that these women, often teenagers, are thought of as, quote, insatiable breeders, end quote, with little self-control who take advantage of the system. According to Harris Perry, there is validity in saying unwed motherhood is an issue. 
However, she contends that these stereotypes are especially harmful and punish African-American women through enforced policy. And she speaks about the, uh, the, the dog whistle words of the welfare queen, which was used a lot during, was it Reagan? When, when Reagan, is it Reagan or Nixon who was using welfare queen? I think it's, yeah, Reagan. Reagan who used welfare queen concept a lot. And she speaks about the, again, the, that insatiable concept, this, this idea that, you know, black women's sexuality is something that is vastly different from other human beings' sexuality. And this is a, a dehumanizing stereotype. I mean, they're all dehumanizing stereotypes in reality because a stereotype takes a portion of a, of a person or a, per a portion of a community and tries to paint the picture that that is the whole of a person or the whole of a community, which is uh, dehumanizing in itself. And so we see for Mammy and Jezebel, they're almost the exact opposite type of things where Jezebel has this insatiable sexuality or insatiable breeding uh, that is connected to it. And Mammy has this asexual uh, connotation that is connected to it. And that's one of the things that is very interesting about stereotypes when people stereotype communities is that so often the stereotypes are so often different periods of times you'll see conflicting stereotypes or you'll see stereotypes that seem to not match up with each other. Even when you think about how black people are considered, you know, the concept that black people are lazy or black people don't want to work. And then when you look through American history and you look through the origins of why black people are stigmatized here, it's literally because that they were used as laborers. It's because they were seen as being able to do nothing but work. Uh, and so you just see the hypocrisies that exist within this society. And uh, Melissa V. Harris Paris Perry does a great job of highlighting those hypocrisies. And then when we speak about the sapphire stereotype, it written here, it says here, let's. Yeah, I'm going to read what the Wikipedia has down for it. The angry black woman stereotype is a racial trope in American society that portrays black women as ill mannered and ill tempered by nature. Related concepts are the, quote, sapphire or sassy black woman. Let's see if I can. The sapphire stereotype is a domineering female who consumes men and usurps their role. She was characterized as a strong, masculine workhorse who labored with black men in the fields or an aggressive woman whose overbearing drove away her children and partners. Her assertive demeanor is similar to the mammy, but without maternal compassion and understanding. One social scientist has claimed that black women's matriarchal status, rather than discriminatory social and economic policies, was responsible for social pathologies in black families. And so we see here with the sapphire uh, stereotype is that this stereotype punishes black women for being strong or punishes black women for uh, being heads of households. And what's, again, what is interesting about that is once you dive deeper into this stereotype, into this concept, you realize that the reason that black women are, have, have historically had to tap into a different type of mental strength and mental fortitude and emotional strength, psychological strength is because of the unique forms of violence used against them, the unique forms of oppression and exploitation used against them. Uh, in this book, 
as in Women, Race, and Class by Angela Y. Davis, that it has pointed out how black women and the enslaved African women were uh, expected to bring in just as much from the fields as black men were expected to, that there was no gender discrepancy, that it wasn't that black women had to bring in 80 pounds or something and black men brought in 100 pounds. And so from the earliest uh, relationship that black women have had with this country and with the society, they were looked at as being as being expected to do the same thing that men were expected to do. And then when you think about the 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 enslaved women's children who were routinely stolen from them, the enslaved women who were routinely had sexual violence used against them, the enslaved women who routinely had husbands and fathers torn and ripped away from them, uh, the vulnerability that they dealt with, the only way for them to survive through that type of thing was to build a thick skin, was to build a different type of a mental fortitude. And so you see how the American society then uh, demonizes them for having that same thing. As you continue to look through American history, you see that there has been a concerted effort on the part of white America and on part of white supremacy and the structural, structural, uh, structural procedural, Policy, I don't know if I'm, but policy structures and procedures have systematically and routinely taken black men out of households, whether that be black men that are sons, black men that are husbands, black men that are boyfriends, black men that are fiancés. They have routinely been taken out of the household, whether that's through uh, when enslaved people were being shipped off and sold off, whether that's when uh, uh, black men having to uh, go and, and, and enlist in wars. Whether that's black men being when with slave or excuse me with black codes, when black men were being routinely thrown into these jails and being part of the chain gang, when we get to uh, mass incarceration in the prison industrial complex and how many black men are routinely put into there, and so black women were put in a position where oftentimes they had no choice but to be the head of households, uh, but to be uh, matriarchs, and so then for them to be punished by something that they were that they did not that they were dealing with the effect of. They were not causing black men to leave the home. And again, uh, it's important that we are able to have honest and true conversations about these things. You can look and look at the statistical evidence that shows you how often black men are arrested, how many black men are in prison, how many black men have been uh, killed because of uh, racist violence. And these are all true. These are all very true, tangible things. And so, that's just a, a very some of my very small perspectives of those three stereotypes, which Melissa V. Harris Perry dived into. One of Melissa V. Harris Perry's other very important themes that's within this book is the theme of recognition and the importance of recognition. This was, for me, something I had never... <clears throat> really taking the time to think deeply about about the dangers of, mi of being misrecognized, the dangers of being unrecognized in a society, how that makes you view yourself within the society. And I think what I want to point out is that that is what is so important about these different pieces of literature in their connection to police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice, that 
different writers have had different life experiences. Different writers have different intersections that they uh, come from. Uh, different writers have different perspectives on on concepts. And it is important when you are focusing on collectivism that you get collective thoughts, you get collective input and not just individual thoughts and not just individual input. And in the struggle against police terrorism, mass incarceration and racial injustice, it is something that cannot be conquered by having an individual demagogue or some individual person or individual group or individual platform. Uh, it's something that can only be conquered through collective action, through collective thinking, through collective strategies, through uh, collective understanding. And recognition is something that is very important in collectivism. And when people don't feel recognized, they it, it, it limits how much they feel they they need to contribute or can contribute to a certain cause. When people feel uh, unrecognized or misrecognized, and Melissa V. Harris Perry does a much better job of articulating the the dangers of misrecognition than I'm doing right now, and which is why I, I also say that. It's important to read through these books multiple times. It's important to read through a book once, maybe read 30 other things throughout a year or two years or however long, and then revisit that book with a, a wider perspective and with a, a wider lens, and you'll be able to uh, to uh, to hold on to more of the information. I think each second read, third read, fourth read I get in a book, I hold, I retain, retain, that's what I'm looking for. I retain the information better. And I don't retain it better just simply because I'm reading it another time. I retain it better because I've read other things that complement it, that help me to be able to retain that information better. And so the understanding of the importance of recognition is another thing that uh, is, is something that the concept I retained uh, but there, I need reading it for me, reading it more multiple times or reading it more times or multiple times again will help me be able to better articulate the importance of, of recognition. But Melissa V. Harris Perry does a good job of laying, of outlining it throughout the book. And then uh, Melissa V. Harris Perry also touches on the Hurricane Katrina disaster and how black women were uniquely affected during the Hurricane Katrina disaster. She speaks about how the story of Hurricane Katrina was told primarily through the perspectives of black women and and how that impacted black people as a whole and how that impacted people's people's perceptions of black people and black women. She also speaks about the Duke, was it Duke? Uh, the Duke lacrosse team uh, rape allegations that took place and spoke about how these the false allegations that were put forward towards these Duke lacrosse members had the effect of them being misrecognized and them being uh, stigmatized as, be, as being viewed as racist and being viewed, viewed as rapist. But she also talks about how the once they were free, cleared of charges, how the pendulum swung the opposite way. And that shame and stigmatization then went on to black women who were whether working for Duke or in the Durham community who had used this event as a avenue to speak to the constant racism and constant 
oppression and constant misogyny and sexism that black women and black people experienced at Duke and, and experienced at Durham and experienced in the country. And uh, you see that once these allegations are removed and these allegations are proven to be untrue, that they suffer the brunt of that sort of backlash, even though what Melissa V. Harris Perry points out is that the importance that they were trying to speak about was not necessarily just about this isolated event that was accused to have happened, but about the overall climate of the country and the overall climate of Duke and the overall climate of, of the Durham community. And I'm sure I am missing a few things. I got to get better with these recaps. I got to start writing notes and I'm going to get better with doing these recaps, but I hope that this recap was helpful for people. I hope that it reminded you of a few things that we read. It was very helpful for me. It forced me to remember some of the things that we read and put them in my own words. And I, and one of the things I am going to do at some point in time, maybe when we get to 365 episodes is just go back and do multiple episodes dissecting each book that we've read. So look out for that coming in about half a year when we're, <laughs> when we're a little closer to 365 episodes. So please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Sorry for the late episode. I'm sure a lot of people probably end up listening to these once the day has passed anyways. But starting tomorrow, we will begin The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. And I hope you enjoy. So remember, we put these episodes out on a daily basis to provide people the opportunity to begin and further, excuse me, we put these episodes out on a daily basis to provide people the opportunity to begin or further their journey in the struggle to end police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice. I'll let you tomorrow.